Good morning. Um, today's passage comes from Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of, word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are, who are with us today. Uh, let's take a moment to show our appreciation for all our moms. Uh, let me also welcome uh, a few guests who are with us uh, for the first time, although one person I know since uh, her youth days. Uh, Daniel and Eugene are with us here today. Where are you guys? And I think they're in the back next to John. But Eugene is John Bay's sister, actually, so let's give them a warm welcome. And uh, I just met Jarell. Is it, I think I'm, uh, Jarell and Taff, was it? Okay. Uh, they're sitting right over there, so also give them a warm, warm welcome. Great to have you join us today. Okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, because our culture has taken uh, gender confusion to the next level uh, over the past few years, I'm doing this mini-series on gender and identity, and this will be uh, the second message in this series. Uh, the title is Celebrating the Beauty of True Womanhood. And uh, you know, I hope when you think of true womanhood... Uh, what comes to mind is not a scene from, let's say, Mulan or Moana. Uh, I hope you're not thinking about the new Captain Marvel character who acts and speaks like an alpha male. Um, so to help us get our minds thinking in the right direction, uh, I wanted to begin with an excerpt from the book I introduced to you last Sunday titled, Irreversible damage, okay, the transgender craze seducing our daughters. Uh, there's a section toward the back of the book where the author is like recommending things uh, and giving advice to parents. Uh, it's one, one section titled, Stop Pathologizing Girlhood. Okay, for those of you watching at home, I know younger, younger folks, my family's at home. Uh, my teens might not understand the word, or my, my, definitely my grade schoolers probably won't know what pathologizing is, but basically it means to characterize as a disease, all right? So stop characterizing girlhood as a disease. That's one section that um, she kind of elaborates on. And I know if you have a boy, like for instance, you're thinking the, the world pathologizes boyhood, which is also true, uh, but let's consider what she has to say here. I think uh, there's enough, I guess, pressures on both sides pathologizing girlhood and boyhood. Uh, she writes this, in 2013, I gave birth to a girl. Right away, little differences from her brothers announced themselves. Things I would come to learn are very typical of a girl. She seemed to feed on affection. She preferred snuggling to nursing. 
At four, she dazzled us with her verbal ability and soon proved an impressive mimic, replicating my patterns of speech whenever her grandparents would call and she was handed the phone. She was empathetic too. She would often uh, ask how my day was. If she found me asleep on the couch, she would kiss my forehead. She seemed to know that buried inside the grown, this grown woman was another girl. Girls are different. They are not defective boys simply because they sometimes fail to be single-mindedly self-interested, especially in the face of their friends' announced need or genuine suffering. They are possessed a different set of inclinations and gifts, a whole range of emotions and capacities for understanding that boys in general are not. If only we did not make them feel so bad about this. In other words, it's okay to be a girl. Adolescence is especially hard on girls. Effervescent with emotion, they buck and bray like wild horses. You parents who've seen young girls grow to teenagers, you, you know exactly what this is. And this drives parents crazy. But the teenage girl is flexing her muscles, discovering the power and extent of an intellectual and emotional prowess that will enable her to be the most compassionate of parents and supportive of friends. For good reason, when asked to identify their best friend, most men name who? Their wives. Most women name another woman. Sorry, husbands. Soldiers write home to mom. And in the dead of night, small children cry out for this one person. It's not appa. <laughs> it's not dada. It's oma. Mama, where are you? Help me. Now, there are at least a couple of things in this excerpt that are, are worth pointing out uh, because, in my mind, they're essentially an echo of what we find in God's Word. And uh, I'll simply put it this way. Number one, femininity is part of the nature of a woman. Okay? It's in your nature, this femin these feminine qualities. In other words, Men and women are born different. And these qualities we are born with, that we possess, are not things that we can conveniently turn on and off when we want to because it's part of who we are by nature. Secondly, both masculinity and femininity are good things. And so it's wrong to say that one is better or more beautiful than the other. Because both are meant to reflect the image of God in different ways. I think the reason why uh, there's so much in the book that resonates with the Christian, because she's actually a Jewish author, I learned, okay? Uh, she's a Jewish author, so there's a lot of so overlap in our worldview. Let me elaborate on the first point a bit more, just so you don't miss the significance of it. The first point being that these feminine or masculine quality, but today I'm focusing on the feminine quality, that these are things that are part of your nature as women, okay? But you know, isn't it true that we live in a culture where men and women are taught to view each other essentially as competition? Anything you can do, right, I can do better. I can do anything better than you, is the unhealthy mindset that we're taught to adopt from very early on. I remember many years ago, I had my two older kids join a basketball camp at the end zone in Chantilly. 
it was many years ago, okay? They, I, both of them gave up on that. They, they, they played basketball, like, for that maybe summer, and then they gave up, okay? And, but at this camp, they handed out T-shirts for the girls, and it read something like, Stronger Than Boys. So all the girls were expected to wear the T-shirt the next day, right? Stronger Than Boys. And, uh, you know, once Stella, she brought the T-shirt back home, Joyce, she looked at it, she took it, she went back the next day and asked if there was a different shirt available that Stella could wear. And the camp director was like, baffled, like, why? This is our most popular shirt for girls. And Joyce said, because I don't like the fact that you are pitting girls against boys. This is not meant to be a competition between the two genders. I love my wife, right? So, you know, whatever a guy can do, a girl can not only do better, but see, in our society, girls are taught, hey, you should strive intentionally to do whatever a guy is uniquely called to do. That is ingrained in their heads from very early on. Not only can you do better, but you should actually strive to do whatever a guy is uniquely called to do. Brothers and sisters, if you're someone who believes that the nature of men and women are essentially the same, that our natures are basically interchangeable, right, you will think that these gender roles that God assigns to each of us are completely arbitrary. It will feel so random to you. In other words, if you're a wife, you may be tempted to think, you know, why can't my husband take care of the kids at home while I work for the family and provide for them? Huh? Why does it have to be me? Our natures are the same, aren't they? So it should work just as well, you may be thinking to yourself. But no, that is not what God's word says. The unique roles that God assigns to us are meant to be consistent with our God-given natures. I know there are exceptions, but generally speaking, see, God made women to be much more nurturing and empathetic and emotionally intelligent so that You as a woman could be better suited to care for the children at home. And you may not realize this, but see, the man has been given this deep sense of responsibility to financially provide for his family. And so if you strip him of that responsibility, guess what? He will feel completely emasculated. That's why guys, they hit so hard when they become disabled and they can't work or provide. Like, it ruins him essentially emotionally. In his book, Men and Women in the Church, Kevin DeYoung offers a helpful illustration. He says that people tend to think that men and women are like two identical basketballs. It's like one you reserve for outdoor use, one you reserve for indoor use. They, they both work the same way and can essentially do the same thing, except that God has decreed that The two basketballs are to be set apart for different functions, but they're the same ball, right? And Kevin DeYoung argues that that is not an accurate picture of reality. It's better to picture the two genders, one as a basketball and one as a football. They are similar things used towards similar ends. You could even tempt to use the two balls interchangeably, but 
the attempt would prove awkward. And in the long run, the game would change if you kept shooting free throws with a football or kept trying to execute a run-pass option with a basketball. See, there's a different structure, a different shape, and a different purpose for each ball. It's not the nature of a basketball to be used as a football. In other words, the rules are rooted in nature. In the same way, his point is that God's rules for men and women are not arbitrary. They are rooted in nature. So brothers and sisters, instead of pitting one gender against the other and living with the mindset of anything you can do, I can do better, we should joyfully acknowledge that God has uniquely made each gender differently so that we could faithfully fulfill our God-given roles in life. Amen? Some of you um, may think, man, that's, that's hard to swallow. That's difficult to hear. But I'm just getting started. <laughs> Actually, the message isn't too long today, okay? I, I, I meant to keep it short. I only had one shoe, uh, you know, being thrown at me. Just kidding. Um, no one threw any shoes or rocks. Uh, but I know that this is difficult to hear, okay? I'm fully aware of that. But I want to remind you that I'm just a messenger, these are not my words. I'm merely echoing God's words, okay? So Titus chapter 2, if you go back to the passage our sister Mina read, let me just highlight a few things from verse 3 and on, okay? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. And I want you to notice, like, the reason why God speaks to women in this kind of way is because these are the things that women tend to struggle with, Okay? Because women are talkative. They like to talk, and so it's, they're prone to slander. Or even, it says, you're not to be slaves to much wine, you older women. Notice, I mean, this is not... <laughs> have you noticed? I mean, they've, you, you will notice this, because at my age, you know, I, especially this past decade, I've noticed, and I'm, I'm sort of like, I have this visual from last night. Uh, I mean, that wedding was beautifully done, and... Uh, the party it was actually pretty long. I, I, did, I dipped out. I think people were waiting for me to leave, right, so they can party, right? So I, I, I left early. I said, okay, guys, I'm leaving. And uh, I heard that from that point on, it got kind of wild, you know. But when, when people are young, it's the guys that tend to drink a whole lot more, okay? And I heard, like, Paul Choi was on the table, like, you know, waving a towel, like, you know, dancing. Um, well, I don't know if he had a towel, but he was on the table dancing. Uh, Young, young guys, they tend to drink more than, you know, their, their you know, girl peers. But then as, as women get older, I've noticed firsthand, as life gets stressful, right, uh, they are drinking a whole lot more because, I mean, that's just one way they cope. Uh, they're chugging down the hard stuff. I'm, I'm talking like hard, not just the beer. I'm talking the hard stuff, right? And I have friends like, who are close to my age, and I'm thinking, my goodness, we're at a Christian conference. Can you, like, calm down? <laughs> what are you doing? Right? But this is true. Right? This is, so not to be slandered, not to be slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. I didn't mention this in the 9 o'clock service, but women, I think, because they're so empathetic, because they're so relational, they, they tend to 
drift more easily into false doctrine. So it's God's way of pulling you back. Say, you know, you've got to teach what is good. You have to teach what is true, right? Don't get swayed so much, right? I'm not saying emotions are bad. That is your strength, okay? But this is also can be your weakness in some ways, in some areas. To train the young women to love their husbands and children. I'll say a little bit more, this, more about this later, okay? To be self-controlled. Train the young women to, to be pure, right? Not to indulge in like, you know, the 50 Shades of Grey stuff or whatever else out there these days. Train the young women to, okay, this is where it gets controversial, right? This is the hard pill to swallow. The hardest pill to swallow today, which I'll be focusing on the most, is train the young women to uh, be working at home. And then to be submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. See, the word of God is reviled when the word of God is ignored. This is why the Apostle Paul instructs Titus to make sure the women in the church do not ignore these teachings. Evidently, it's not just modern women like yourselves who like to ignore these kinds of teachings. Women in the early church they tend to ignore it as well. And so Paul's telling Timothy or Titus, no, don't have the women ignore this, right? May not the word of God be reviled. Before you jump to any conclusions, let me help us recover the true meaning of what it means for a wife and a mother to be working at home. Okay, because honestly, this meaning has been hijacked by the world and has been severely degraded, right? It, it, it's, it's made you think that working at home it basically is it's a second or third-rate job that a real woman should never want to pursue. You know, we have been trained to think that a, a real and worthy job is a job that the world recognizes and handsomely rewards with lots of money and healthy benefits. We're told that that is the kind of career you should pursue as a woman because that's the kind of career that will guarantee that you receive maximum freedom and independence and joy and fulfillment. By the way, I have a message reserved just for the guys next Sunday, okay? So don't think I'm just picking on the girls today, okay? Happy Mother's Day. This is for the, for the, for the woman. Uh, I, I am here. I, I, don't really, I don't enjoy this. To be, I don't enjoy this, okay? Again, I'm the messenger. I, I'm here to tell you this morning that this kind of thinking is a terrible lie and that is misleading so many of us. Work that is done in the home is not secondary work. See, God does not... Give men real work while telling the woman to get out of the way and just stay home because your work is not that important. That's not what's happening here. That is a terrible lie straight from the devil. Let me give you a better way to understand what's going on. See, God gives both men and women work that is important because it's meant to fulfill both the cultural mandate that we talked about briefly last Sunday and the Great Commission, right? What, what is the cultural mandate again? 
It's to be fruitful and to, be, uh, to, to multiply and subdue the earth. Basically, God is telling both the man and the woman, male and female, to govern and steward the world wisely, right? Govern over my creation. The Great Commission is, is what? It's to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. So, see, hold these two things in your minds. The cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, be wide stewards, and the Great Commission, make disciples. Let me ask you this. When does discipleship begin? The answer is, it begins in the home. And I'm sure many moms would argue that actually the work of discipleship begins in the womb, right? My point is that the woman's work at home is much more significant than what most people think. You know, for, for those of you who may like numbers, if you want to break it down into percentages, you know, we can say that easily at least half of the work of the cultural mandate and the Great Commission is assigned specifically to the woman. I would argue actually that's, that's more than half, but you get my point. It's significant work. I mean, think about how important the home is. I mean, how, how precious to you is your home life? I'm sure it's true for many of you, but I view my home life as basically the center of my life that keeps me sane for every other work that I do. In other words, if, if my home life is chaotic and unstable, then guess what? The rest of my life becomes chaotic and unstable. And if my home life is peaceful and blessed because of my wife's faithful presence in the home, then see, even though my work outside the home may be difficult, even ministry, even though ministry may be very hard at times, I can find at least refuge at home and be recharged and be ready to face a new day. See, that's how God designed life to be. That's how important home life is. And who, who is to be the main steward of the home? It's the woman. And this is why, you know, virtually all of the brokenness we see in this world can usually be traced back to a broken and dysfunctional home. Isn't that true? I'm not saying that it's the sole responsibility of the, the wife and mother to cultivate a blessed home life, but see, if the wife and the mother is not invested in the home, see, there's no chance of cultivating a blessed home life. So let me put it in the most straightforward way possible so as to avoid any confusion. Wives and mothers are to primarily be invested in the work of cultivating a godly home and discipling young children in the faith. And these kinds of biblical values need to be taught to our children from an early age, but unfortunately they're not. I mean, most schools, virtually all schools teach the exact opposite. And I don't even think that many Christian schools teach these values. Next time I, got a, I have a PTA meeting or you know, a, a 
teachers, te- I don't know, what, what do they call it? Parents form at the local Christian school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand and ask this question. No, nowhere, anywhere you go, everywhere you go, they, they, don't, they don't teach these values. So if, if you as parents don't teach them to your kids, guess what? They'll never really hear it from anyone. I mean, what, what is the common pattern in our day? A young woman or let's say a young child is told that she can be whatever she wants to be, right? She's taught that whatever a man can do, she can do better. So she's trained to think like a man and act like a man while suppressing her feminine traits. And so she becomes very career-driven and is never taught the skills of caring for a family or cultivating a godly home. And she ends up graduating from this expensive university her family really can't afford, accumulates thousands upon thousands of dollars of debt, and after that, grad school looks appealing because she's told that if she wants to be successful in the world, she has to have a graduate degree. What does that mean? Financially, it means more debt. And she meets a guy. He seems nice. He's cute enough. He asks her out. They date for a while. They get married. They have their first child. And it's only then she realizes that it may be better for her to stay at home and care for this child. But what, if, what about all the investment? What about all the money poured into her education? What about all the voices that, that's kind of telling her, no, don't waste your education? Right? So there's this tension, right? She, she, she's fighting you know, that urge to, to stay at home but then to build a career there's this tug of war in her heart. That's a common story in our time. So I want to make it very clear. Uh, this may be the first time you've heard something like this. But sisters in Christ, understand that you cannot have your dream career where you're like just wholly focused on your work, right? building some kind of, I don't know, enterprise out there, outside the home. And at the same time, be an ideal mom. Let me just say, you can't have this dream, that kind of dream career and be a good mom or a good wife. At some point, you're going to have to decide what you will need to sacrifice. Right, that's the truth. Right? I'm being real. I hope you don't think that I'm being sexist here. That's the truth. I want to recommend, uh, if, if this is like completely new to you, like, what is this guy talking about? Right? I want to recommend two books, okay? Uh, these are older books, but they basically contain all, the, all of these things, all these values from a secular standpoint. It's not just Christians who speak like this, actually. Even secular folks uh, can, can figure things out right, as they experience life. One book is titled Seven Myths of Working Mothers, Why Children and Most Careers Just Don't Mix, okay? Written by Suzanne Venker, V-E-N-K-E-R. Second book is What Our Mothers Did Not Tell Us, Why Happiness Eludes the Modern Woman, written by Danielle Crittenden. You can look them up. I think they'd be a good read for many of you. 
not only do we need to understand these things, we need to make sure that our daughters know that it's actually see, very good and normal right, not to have these ambitious career goals. You know, my, my third child, uh, I think a way back, a while back, she, you know, I think, I think Joyce asked her, what do you want to, you know, be when you grow up? I, maybe I asked her, I don't know, I forget exactly the context, but her, her response was essentially, I just, I just want to be a mom, okay? I just want to be a mom. Like, I, I like what you're doing, Amma. I, I guess that's what she was reading. I, I like what you're doing at home. I, I want to be what, I want to do what you're doing, okay? And parents, I, I really want you to think about this. You know, would you be okay with that if your daughter said that to you? Not only would I be perfectly fine with that, not, not, not only was I fine with that, but I actually prefer that kind of thinking coming from my daughter's. See, the, the world pressures them to have these great career ambitions, right? They're supposed to want to be the first, you know, female to do this or that. Uh, they're supposed to have, have this grand ambition, like, I want to be the first, you know, female, I don't know, to, to be the, the president of the United States or something, something like ridiculous, right? If, if you, if you just, if, if your mind is, is set in that way, right? Your, your thinking is, is going to become completely counter to what God's actual design for women is. You're, you're missing the point, okay? And I think this is why so many women become confused. And, you know, I learned not too long ago that there's like a, there's something called a cat lady, okay, a cat lady. And I'm not, trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to mock cat ladies, but, you know, for whatever reason, uh, maybe their career didn't work out the way they envisioned, or maybe they're successful, I don't know, but, you know, marriage didn't work out, uh, so they're, they're alone, Okay. Uh, but they still have this strong desire to nurture life. And so instead of raising children, what do they do? They end up investing their lives and filling their homes with cats. It makes sense. It's because they can't, they can't deny their nature. It's like if you don't have children to care for, then what are you going to do? You, you fill your home with cats or dogs or plants because you want to care for something, you want to nurture something, because you're a woman. So brothers and sisters, please do not view motherhood as a third-rate job for losers who cannot make it in the real world. That's a, that's a lie straight from the devil. Be reminded this morning that you as a mother have received a high calling from God, right, to nurture life and to directly shape the hearts and minds of the next generation. Right? You are life givers. You are bettering someone, someone's life by coming alongside of them and assisting them. What a beautiful thing that is. Yes, motherhood is incredibly tiring and hard, 
and you can easily feel like a slave in your own home. See, but what makes motherhood beautiful is the self-sacrificing nature of it. See, when women decide to bear a child as a Christian and offer the child to the Lord, they're essentially declaring a life of dying to self, can't you see? They're mirroring what Christ has done for them, right? Laying down their lives for the sake of another. So what you do every day as a mom is an incredibly beautiful thing. It's noble because it's godlike, it's Christ-like. So sisters, please do not view children as a major obstacle between you and your career ambitions. Rather, if you're healthy, if you're physically capable, raising children should be one of your primary life goals. And if you're, for whatever reason, not able to bear children, then finding other means to invest in children and to learn how to disciple the next generation should be one of your primary life goals because that's how God designed life to be. We're still looking for volunteers for 9 o'clock children's ministry, by the way. Sometimes I'm asked, I'm asked the question, uh, should a Christian woman work outside the home? The biblical principle is this, right? The most basic principle is if you're a married woman, your primary commitment ought to be towards supporting your husband and raising godly children in the home. That's, that's the most basic principle, okay? However, working outside the home is permissible. But you shouldn't be working outside the home at the expense of your family life, right? Your primary work as a mother is meant to be the home again. Work outside the home is to be considered secondary. The problem, though, is that many modern women reverse that order. It's personal career first, then it's marriage and children. See, an ideal example of a godly woman can be found in Proverbs 31, right? You all know that chapter, Proverbs 31. I encourage you to read through the chapter again uh, carefully and ask these questions, okay? Is this woman a successful businesswoman first who occasionally checks in on her family when she has time? Or is she a committed homemaker who engages in work outside the home in order to support her family. And I believe if you're honest with yourselves, you'll know that it's the latter that is true. I know it's difficult to swallow. Uh, Let me conclude by sharing a a piece written by Janie Ortland. I share this with I shared this piece with you before, but I think it's worth mentioning again, okay? And she's reflecting here on Titus. Why does the apostle have to tell us older women to teach these these things to the younger women? Well, it's because it can be hard to love your husband and children. In fact, it can be easier to minister outside the home. Why is it more rewarding for us to plan a ladies' retreat for 200 women than it is to plan an indoor picnic with our preschoolers on a rainy afternoon? Well, I think it's because the rewards are more immediate and the demands are not so steady. 
But God has called you to this kind of ministry. He knows there are no neutral moments in a young child's life whose experience is one of continuous need and development. Your children will bear the imprint of your mothering throughout their lives because much of human behavior springs from imitation. You are the only mother your, cho- your children have. Your ministry to them is the deepest expression of your love for them. You have received this commission from God. As a mother, your privilege is to teach them how to respect their daddy and be kind to their siblings, how to choose good nutrition and wholesome entertainment, why they should value courtesy and orderliness, and which causes are worthy of their efforts, their reputations, and even their very own blood. One final paragraph. Are you discouraged as you spend day after day immersed in the mundane tasks of mothering? Then think of the value of teaching them eternal truths from God's word. Think of the importance of teaching your young children how to live under authority and of preparing them for the future. And think of the delight of one day sending your child into this world with the courage to live well for Christ's sake. What a worthy investment. Those are some good thoughts. So as I close this message, I would like all of our moms to know that you are loved, you are appreciated for who you are and what you do. Your calling as a mother is a high calling that requires you to literally give yourself up for the sake of others. So thank you for modeling the gospel through your daily service towards your families. And even though it may be exhausting and you may feel like you want to throw in the towel, I encourage you not to give up. God has called you to motherhood, not only for the sake of others, but also for your sake and for the sake of his glory. God does not make mistakes. Let me also say that if you're a single mom, know that God offers special grace for you, tailor-made for you, so you can take on the added responsibilities, right, the, the bigger burdens that you have, there's, there's grace for you. And you have the church because we are called as a church to help you and to assist you and to be just the family that offers you the care you need and the extra hands that you need to help you carry the burdens you bear. So know that you too are deeply loved and appreciated and that we are here for you. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for the women in our church and the work that you've been doing in shaping them into your people, making them more into your image each day. Today we especially give you thanks for the gift and blessing of motherhood, for all the moms who are busy and often overwhelmed by their daily responsibilities toward their families. Encourage them this morning through your word and give them strength to persevere in their work. May their attitude toward you be one of humble submission and may their regular pattern of life reflect the self-sacrificing nature of their Lord. As we honor our mothers today, we honor you as our wise God who has ordered all things in life to reflect what is most beautiful and noble and true. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.